As someone running their own business, do you find you're spending a lot of time on admin tasks? Are you the person doing your own website creation, your own website design, your own content creation, your own posts, social media output, your own appointment setting, etc., etc.? Well, if so, you're possibly losing money and you may not even realize it. With a virtual assistant, you could hand over tasks to someone who can do them better, quicker, and more cheaply. So in today's episode, we're going to give you five key steps to hiring a VA or virtual assistant to help you save time and money. This is episode 82 of the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett-Hayes. Hi, I'm Mark. This is the Training Business Podcast. I'm the host of this show, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to another episode of the show. This is the show for freelance trainers, for training business owners, for training consultants, just like you and I, all around the world. The goal of this episode and every episode every week is the same. It's to help you to start to grow and to scale a profitable training business. Sometimes we have guests on the show, sometimes it's just you and I, and sometimes we do, as we did last week, take a message or a request or a suggestion directly from the listeners, and hopefully you are one of the people who will do that in the future, and you can email me anytime. That's mark at trainingbusiness.com. And those episodes help me to reflect on something that you find is a challenge or a question that you have, and I develop an episode all around that. So every episode is basically something designed to help you in your training business. And there's an episode every single Thursday. You can subscribe to the show, of course, on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher and Spotify, as well as other platforms out there. Many of them I can't even mention, but you'll find episodes of the show out there on the interweb. Now, before the music, I talked about today's topic, which is the importance of using what we call a VA or using the services of a VA or virtual assistant. I work with several. I began a number of years ago and I found some great ones over the years. I found some terrible ones. I've lost money on a couple of bad ones and I've wasted lots of time. But that in a way qualifies me to talk about today's subject because if you don't venture, you won't gain anything. Nothing ventured nothing gained. We're not talking about employees. We're not talking about the idea that you hire someone on your books as an employee and go into some kind of legal relationship with that person. Instead, we're talking about the concept of a VA. Why VA? Well, virtual, because they're online, they're available through the web to you, through a range of platforms. You can find them on online and you can work with them online. So they're virtual. And they're assistants because they can assist you with particular parts of your business. And we're going to explore those parts today. You might even become a VA. In episode 11 with Shelly Fischel, whom I've worked with previously, Shelly has a business where she trains people on the use of Microsoft Office in different languages. But she also has a business where she trains people to become VA. So in fact, you might be a trainer, but you might also be a VA or a virtual assistant to someone else online. That's something you could look into, something that you love to do and you might make money doing. Up to you. So what is a a VA, first of all? Let's define what a VA is. And I'll take someone else's definition to do this. 
According to Investopedia, investopedia.com, a virtual assistant is an independent contractor who provides administrative services to clients while operating outside of the client's office. I'm reading this from a screen. So one more time, investopedia.com suggests a virtual assistant is an independent contractor who provides administrative services to clients while operating outside of the client's office. Yeah, kind of true. I don't agree with this completely, and here's why. You might not find that contractor is independent. Very often, in my experience, you might find that person works under the roof of an agency, and that agency provides that person's services through their website, through their business. So not necessarily independent, often part of another company. And in episode 51 of the podcast last year, in 2019, I had Chris Ducker on the show. Chris Ducker is a very successful business coach and trainer, has a brand called youpreneur.com. And together with his wife, Ertz, he also has a website and business in the Philippines, which manages the work of up to 400 virtual assistants for a range of businesses around the world. And according to Chris, there are four main kinds of VAs, which his business provides general VAs, which understandably suggests general assistance with a range of tasks, everything from booking to purchasing to scheduling, etc. Secondly, content writers, people who write content for your website, for your blog. Search specialists, people who provide the services of things like Facebook ads and Google ads, LinkedIn ads, search engine optimization. And lastly, people who are technical in nature. They could be programmers, they could be coders, UX or website you know, front-end design people, lots of people. So Chris suggests there are four. In my experience, there are more than four, but that's something we'll look at in a moment. So what I do is I work with a guy called Sam who helps me with my podcast. This podcast has been edited today by Sam. I work with a guy called James who does the graphics for me, the stuff on social media. Um, Any of the icons you see, the logo, that's all been done by James. Fantastic job. And Frank has done a cracking job with my website. So I don't yet have a general assistant, but I might in the near future. So that just gives you an idea of how I'm applying this concept of virtual assistants. So next, let's look at why you might need one. I'm not saying today that I'm hoping to evangelize. You may come away from this episode and think I don't need one. It doesn't suit me right now. I can't afford one. But in fact, I would suggest you can't afford not to have one in some respect. Here's why. One, The difference between working on your business and in your business is critical. You can scale if you are the business. And this is part of the problems I've had over the years, is that if I'm trying to do the podcast editing and the graphics design and the writing and this and this and this, I'm actually taking myself away from things I can charge for. Okay, so in previous episodes, I've stressed the importance of what I call interest-generating activities versus income generating activities. So if I'm doing something which I cannot charge for, that's in effect losing me money. If I'm spending time that I'm not really in a position to spend and it's taking me longer to do a low value task which is repetitive, that's definitely costing me money and time. It makes more sense therefore to find other people who can do things better, cheaper, more quickly than me And I can then focus and free up my time to do things which I can charge for. Now, initially, you at some point have got to learn the things that are your business. So you might have to have some skill in content writing or, you know, copywriting or some kind of 
input in terms of what your logo and your website looks like, but you may not necessarily be the person designing, creating, building, writing, etc. And it's really important to distinguish from this because in terms of Michael Gerber's book, which I cannot recommend highly enough, which is the book called E-Myth or The E-Myth Revisited, he stresses the difference between working in your business and working on your business. And that's a constant battle I have in my mind, which is trying to remove myself from doing the things I'm tempted to do, which people can actually do better than me, quickly, more quickly than me, and more than likely cheaper than me. The second reason why you might need one is because, as I said, if you're doing things which you cannot charge for, you're wasting time. The things that you and I can charge for, I guess, which is why you're listening to this podcast, are your training programs, your coaching programs, your consultancy services. Those are things you can charge for. Anything else you can't charge for. So if you're not doing something you could charge for, why are you doing it? The third reason, as I said, again, repeating slightly here, is that VAs can do things, the right ones, that is, can do things better than you, quicker than you, cheaper than you, and often they'll point out things to you that you may not even be aware of, things you don't know, things you don't know you don't know. And this is really valuable. So if you've got the right VA, they could say, actually, Mark, or actually Susan, or actually Lucy, or actually John, whatever your name is, um, this is how it's done elsewhere. This is what best practice is. This is how I will set this thing up to work for you. And these are the results you'll get. And that's exactly what you want to hear. You want to hear someone taking this task in hand and saying, this is what needs to happen. And this is the benefit, the advantage of doing it a particular way. So you cannot be world-class at everything. Some people will be world-class in areas you will not. And it's having the wisdom to know the things you've got to let go of to be able to grow. You've got to let go to grow. So how can VAs help? Well, graphic design, bookkeeping, public relations, video editing, coding, as I said, front-end uh, web design, designing the, the user interface of your website, of your apps, app development, there's one, ghostwriting, writing a book. If you've got one, you're thinking of writing. Most people, in my experience, given what I do, don't actually write the whole book themselves. Someone does something like the outline or the, the content planning or the... Uh, the editing, the proofreading, all of those parts of a book are rarely done by one person. Survey building, Google ads, Facebook ad campaigns, search engine optimization, the list is actually endless. Some of these things are really specialist. So in my world, or in my view, anything that the customer hears, sees, tries, or buys, that's something that needs to be the very best it can be. And if you're not the person who can do the best job, it's time to recognize this and step away. Outsource, give it to someone else, obviously the right person, and we'll talk about that. So where do you find these kinds of people? Well, a range of sources, because they're virtual assistants, the obvious place is to look for them online. You may, you may have some referrals, people may have given you the names of some VAs, and very often the, the really good ones are not the, the names that people will share with you. So if I have a really good VA, I'm reluctant to recommend this person to someone else. Why? Well, that's not quite true because I've done it a few times for Sam. I've mentioned that Sam's done a great job of the podcast. But, you know, if you keep on recommending the, the people in your organization, you might as well give away your employees if you have any. So it's important that you hire the right people and bind them closely to you so they become an intricate part of your business within particular levels of trust. So you could find the right VA for you on Fiverr.com or PeoplePerHour.com. 
Toptal, that's T-O-P-T-A-L.com. 99designs.com is a specialist one, like designcrowd.com. They are, those two websites are for people who are, let's say, assistants in terms of designing visual things like logos or PDFs, lead magnets, or book covers, all that kind of thing. And behance.com is another specialist one for people who, let's say, design apps or design uh, very visual or, or graphic-based stuff. So again, fiverr.com, everyone's perhaps heard of fiverr.com. I've had some uh, okay experiences with it and some not so nice experiences and some really, really good experiences. So it's hit and miss. That, that's the thing. It's hit and miss. And often what you spend or are willing to spend, well, guess what? If you pay peanuts, you'll get monkeys. If you aren't willing to spend the right money, you'll get a poor quality uh, VA. And that, I think that's true. I don't need to explain this to you. I've never met a person who seriously expects to get great results from poor input. Okay. So if you hire offshore, you're taking a risk invariably. And if you're paying peanuts for that person or that resource, you're taking a huge risk. Okay. I've, I sat one time last year in May, in fact, in London, I won't say where, at a, a what's called a mastermind with other business owners. And I was amazed how one of the girls at the table told the story of how she found one of her VAs online and is paying her three seventy-five. That's three dollars seventy-five cents an hour. I don't think that's right. I think that's kind of immoral. How can anyone survive on three dollars seventy-five? And even if they could, is that morally acceptable to pay someone peanuts? Because guess what? You're taking a huge risk in doing that. Would you do that? Well, hopefully not. I wouldn't do that. And it's tempting to find people who do the lowest task, the lowest quality or menial tasks, but you're taking a huge risk, I think, in doing this. If you get, if you pay that kind of money, you'll get low trust, low quality, and low reliability. So I don't think you can afford this. You've got to take time to find the person that does the best job within your means. The second possibility is to work with an agency. And very often there are agencies out there that have a large number of people under their own roof. You don't have to deal with those people in terms of managing the tasks directly. Everything goes through an operations manager. And there are many great agencies online. They could be based in the Philippines, like Chris Ducker's one, or other agencies that might be accessed through the US or through the UK or through Australia, etc. But the people doing the work are elsewhere. The benefit to you, of course, is that you don't have to worry about task completion because if someone is unavailable, that manager will outsource that task or delegate that task or reassign that task to someone else. And the other option, of course, is to find people yourself on LinkedIn. So three kinds of ways of doing it. You can do a broad search on a site like Fiverr or peopleperhour.com, toptal.com. Toptal, by the way, is top dollar. It's not, uh, it stands for top talent, and you can guess by the name that it's not cheap. But there are many top organizations out there that are paying premium for really top quality people on TopTel or toptalent.com. So what do you look for? Well, I would look for this when hiring a VA, recommendations from other people. Often, depending on the platform, you will find that other people who've hired that VA have left recommendations or comments. However, 
I would really, really take those recommendations with a pinch of salt. I won't mention which companies I'm talking about here. That would not be right, first of all, because it's simply my opinion. And secondly, it could open me to some legal issues. But I think I would find many of the recommendations or comments left by other people, inverted commas, to be questionable on some of these sites. They're just too formulaic and often that um, just things about them make me wonder, are they actually left by people or, or bot software or are they left by the platform itself? So I would always create some kind of test and I'll talk to you about the importance of taking five key steps today to hiring VAs. But I would find some way to ensure this is person's this person's experience is valid and it's not something they've made up or someone else has made up. So it's important that you set tests when hiring someone and it's best to set your own. And we'll talk about that at step three in today's tips. Something else to keep in mind is language because you're communicating tasks, important tasks, with someone whose language, depending on where that VA is, may not be English. And if that's not the case, things can be misunderstood, people could do the wrong thing, and there could be consequences for your business. So for my money, I will pay for someone whose English is fluent. And guess what? You're going to find fluent English only typically where English is fluently spoken every day. If you want to pay less, you take the risk of having things misunderstood and anything which is customer facing, which someone who is a customer stands to see, that needs to be written in flawless, perfect, proficient business level English. Anything, anything else is a risk I don't think is worth taking. So here we go. The five steps to hire a VA properly. Number one is to decide what you want to outsource. What kinds of things are candidates or good candidates for outsourcing? Well, these are things which are repetitive. They are low-risk, low-value tasks, which can be easily defined using what's called an SOP. I'll come to that in a moment. So something which is simple. It could be, you know, creating two or three lines for a tweet every single week. That's something which requires English, one, but it's something quite simple in nature and it's low risk because if it's not right, you can recall that. Although again, anything which is customer facing needs to be done by someone who's competent, confident, and someone you can rely upon. So thinking of things which are repetitive in nature, they're done every single week or a couple of times a week or every month, they're cyclical, they're repetitive, that's a candidate for outsourcing. If it's low risk, meaning that if it goes wrong, the ramifications are not too serious financially or otherwise, that's something which could perhaps be outsourced as well. And the other side of the coin are things which are complex in nature, technical, things which you cannot do because you don't understand that technology or that platform or something else. So if I'm, for example, as I've done last year, registered two trademarks, I could, in theory, outsource that or I could do it myself, which is the more risk averse. Well, if I go down the path of doing something legal myself, legal stuff is a specialized area, the risks are huge because it took, in one instance, 13 months to get the trademark through. And that took proper guidance. So there are things which I would not outsource and there are things which I would outsource. The wisdom is knowing the difference. So decide what you can, what you want to outsource, typically something which is repetitive, low value, low risk in nature, something which can be easily defined or on the other extreme, 
technical, complex things, which are high risk in nature. These, these are things you know you cannot do or can't risk doing wrong. Okay? Things I cannot charge for. Another tip, by the way, are things I would outsource because I want to free myself up to focus on things I can charge for. So this podcast episode tonight is not being edited by me. It's being edited by Sam. That's an example or a case in point. The second step is to create an SOP. What is an SOP? An SOP stands for Standard Operating Procedure. Let's say you go to Starbucks for a coffee. What do you see them doing in the morning if you're there early? Are they just doing things ad hoc as they pop into their mind? Or is someone following a checklist? I can tell you they are following a checklist. Someone has been trained to open up the premises at this time, do these things, turn on these things, activate these things, run this report, da-da, da-da, da-da. Whatever that thing is, it's a sequential series of tasks for a defined outcome. And that's what many, in fact, most retail stores, outlets, franchises, concessions do. They have a defined series of tasks which as a whole, make up what's called a standard operating procedure. Why? Well, let's say you're selling a franchise. If you were to buy a franchise in X, what you're not just buying is the business name, you're buying the business system. And Michael Gerber's book, The E-Myth Revisited, talks about the importance of systems, which is again another reason to read that book. I hope to have Michael on the show at some point in the near future. The point is that once you have an SOP, you've basically identified and broken down that task in your business step by step. You've tested it. You've timed it. You've priced it in terms of what it costs you to do it. And then ideally you've filmed it. You've made some kind of video, which you can share with the VA to walk them through it and get their feedback and further refine it then until such time as you're happy to hand it off to them and they're take it, happy to take it on board. Okay. So that's very important. Step one, decide what you want to outsource particular candidates of tasks are ideal. Step two, create an SOP, which defines sequentially this particular task for defined outcome or output. And then that's the thing that you can share with someone else. Now, step three, you're now ready to find someone who is ideal to complete this task. Why is this step three? Well, you'd think that many people, and this is often true, the first thing they do is they go looking for someone and then they work out the task wrong way around. Step three, only at step three, only when you've done your, what do I want to outsource? Why? The SOP, which defines it, the the time it takes to do it, the steps involved, the cost of you doing it. Only then are you actually in a position to go find someone who can do it. Okay. So step three is to find the right person for the right task. However, I have a rule here. Anything which is customer facing, anyone who is customer facing, for example, setting an appointment, they've got to be really, really good. Steve Jobs famously said, we don't hire smart people so we can tell them what to do. We hire smart people so they can tell us what to do. So you're not just buying people's time here and their skill, you're buying their experience, their transferable credibility. This is key. You are trusting someone with the keys to your business at some level. It's that critical. So some tasks are menial. We've talked about that in step one. You can think of them as as low risk, but other tasks which are customer facing have got to be those tasks for which you find the exact person that's right for that task. Step four. Okay, having found the right person now, which could take a while, it could take many searches 
on some of the platforms which I've mentioned today, Fiverr, TopTal, etc., based upon your budget, your task, etc., etc., it's now time to talk to them and to test them. It could be an interview on Zoom or Skype or Google Hangouts, etc. And I have a rule, unless I've got some way to speak to someone, hear their voice, or better still, face and voice using, as I said, Zoom or Skype or Hangouts, then I'm not going to work with them. So many people put up false pictures online and they're not who they say they are. That's quite common these days. So the thing to do is to use the principle of consistency and commitment. In other words, thinking of persuasion psychology here, give someone small tasks, low risk tasks, so you can afford them getting those tasks wrong. And giving them those tasks, you will find out whether you can trust them with bigger tasks. Not just that, see if someone can come back to you and suggest a change to your task. The last thing you want are people who blindly follow your SOP. I know that sounds strange because you've just refined and defined the SOP, but actually you want people who can improve the SOP. So you're looking for a stretch mindset here, not just do the work, but think of ways to improve the work. Make sense? So one of my adages or sayings is hire for attitude, train for attitude, and coach for altitude. So find people who don't just do the work, but they want to own the work, improve the work, and are coachable to actually improve the work, okay, improve the value of that task. Which brings us to step five today, which is to invest in the relationship. So if you're willing to hire someone, which means try them, you've got to be willing to some level to trust them and therefore to train them, to invest time in them. It's no good just to say to someone, well, here's the SOP, there's the video, watch this, do it this way and give me a shout if anything goes wrong. There are people who run teams of VAs like that. And it's kind of chaotic because those people sometimes feel neglected. If you have an employee who's never trained, never coached, never mentored, is that person going to last? Well, the answer is no. Will they want to stay? The answer is probably no. So you've got to be willing to look beyond the task and find some way to get that person to see a commitment in helping you to build your business, to be a part of the business, not just the present of the business, but the future of the business. This means basically finding ways to get them to take responsibility, almost own a part of the business. However, caveat here, never, 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 never trust anyone, anyone 100%. It's true in life and it's definitely true in business. So even those people to whom I outsource tasks, and they won't mind me saying this, I need to know at all times that those people are trustworthy. So if I know that something is to be published or in this case of this podcast on a Thursday, I know I can trust Sam no matter what happens, he will have that episode out on a Thursday morning, rain or shine, COVID virus or no COVID virus. And that's key. So we need people to really develop the relationship with us beyond skill and into the realm of will, relationship building, knowing they can trust them. They can rely upon us as well to give them work. So it's a two-way street. However, we never trust anyone 100% with the keys to the business. There is a limit to trust. Relationships can go sour. So always think of ways to back up anything that you give people access to. Have a spare copy, have a spare key, have separate rights. So for example, with the website, I have a different 
profile with a different level of access when I work with other people. Only I have what's called super admin or super administrator access to the website. And it's true for anything that you give people access to. So limit admin rights and websites. If people have access to your web hosting, again, be very careful what you give them access to. If you trust people with accounts, very careful what you give people access to. There are websites out there like LastPass, which allow you to limit what passwords people can use. You never give them the actual password, but a kind of a copy of the password. So that's worth thinking of. On the one hand, you want to trust people to build them, to bind them to you, to get them to take an ownership mentally in terms of a stake or skin in the game, to stay close to you, to want to be trusted by you. You've got to trust them as well. It's a two-way street, but you can never, ever trust people to the same level that you would trust yourself. You've got to differentiate between someone who works for you and someone who is you. You are not the contractor. They're not you. They will never have your business goals and aspirations as closely to your heart as you do. Make sense? Okay. So the final thoughts today are this. There are too many coaches, too many trainers, too many consultants who actually are the business. They just don't realize it. If you don't believe me, ask yourself, what happens if you're unavailable, if you're ill? Well, there's the answer right now. Whatever you've just told yourself, that's what's true right now. You can always take back back tasks. If you hire a VA, you can change VAs. You can find someone else. You can improve people. You can hire different trainers, different VAs for different tasks. We're not talking about hiring an employee. It's a different conversation, which we'll look at in a future episode of the show. But here's the thing. If you don't let go, you cannot grow. There are things which, hopefully, you're convinced following today's episode, you realize now are best done by other people for the reasons we've discussed. If you want to grow, you must let go. My sincere thanks to you for tuning in again this week and for giving this podcast, this episode, your time. Thank you for all your support. As I mentioned at the beginning of the program, I welcome all suggestions in terms of future episodes of the show, the kinds of challenges you're facing and the kinds of things you'd like me to address, the kinds of guests you'd like me to have on the show. So by leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher or Spotify, it helps us to promote the show and to help other people just like you and me with these kinds of challenges. You can check out the podcast as always on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher and Spotify, as well as other podcast platforms out there, such as Google Podcasts, every single Thursday. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, and on Instagram, so check us out and join the conversation on social media. My best wishes to you and your family, of course. Until next Thursday, keep selling, keep training, and keep safe. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.